We'll hear argument first this morning in case 08304, Graham County Soil and Water Conservation District versus the United States, XREL Wilson. Mr. Browning. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. The issue in this case is whether the word administrative, as used in the Public Disclosure Bar, the False Claims Act, includes state audits and reports or is limited to federal sources. If this Court were to hold that a relator can simply copy a state report or a state criminal indictment and then proceed with a key TAM action, there will be a proliferation of opportunistic key TAM actions brought under this statute. Such a construction of the statute would have a devastating effect upon states, local governments, and the federal FISC. Much of the work of state government involves cooperative federal and state programs. States have been an effective partner in fighting against fraud and abuse with respect to those programs. For example, many states have turned to computerized software to identify irregularities in connection with Medicaid billings. California has implemented a process of analyzing both its Medicare and its Medicaid databases in order to identify doctors who bill in excess of 24 hours in a given day. Under the decision below, that investigatory work can simply be copied uh, by a KETAM plaintiff and an action brought based upon uh, that public report. The result is under your proposal, uh, a, a state that itself is guilty of fraud can, uh, in effect, uh, uh, immunize, if not immunize itself, at least render the information unusable by conducting a hearing. Well, Your Honor, the um, government certainly argues that it would result in states and local governments immunizing themselves from key town liability. With respect to states, and the Fourth Circuit decision expressly includes reports of state government, States, of course, um, are not liable under the KETAM provisions as a result of this Court's decision in Vermont um, Department of Natural Resources versus United States X. Rel. Stevens. And there's also the original source. If, if the relator is the original source of the information. Yeah. Yes, Justice Ginsburg, that even if there is a state report that um, a, is in the public domain, a local government could still be sued under that document, in spite of that document, by either the United States or a KETAM plaintiff that stands as an original source. But so, what about the, the, the argument that, that Congress wanted to, in, in its most recent revisions, wanted to expand uh, KETAM availability, and that this would, the, if, if you if you um, include state and local reports, that will shrink the availability. Your Honor, uh, there is no question that uh, Congress looked at the pre-1986 um, public disclosure bar, um, the provisions that existed between 1943 and 1986, and during that time frame, an action, KETAM action would be barred if it was based upon information that was available to the, the federal government. Congress decided that that cut off too many KETAM actions. And as a result, it reached a compromise. Many um, members of Congress wanted to totally eliminate the government um, knowledge bar. On the other hand, the United States Department of Justice at the time was arguing that the existing bar should remain in effect as a result of abusive and frivolous KETAM actions and their concern with respect to that. So a compromise was reached in which the bar was completely changed. It was changed to allow uh, for a, an original source to bring a KETAM action, essentially a relief valve that addressed Congress's concerns with respect to cases such as United States XREL Wisconsin versus Dean. It also, in the 1986 amendments, set out specific sources of information um, and directly 
identified the type of public information that a key TAM action couldn't be based upon. That list, of course, includes many sources that might or might not be readily available to the United States government. For example, it includes reports by a news media. Um, a, an obscure article in a weekly publication of limited circulation does not realistically uh, put the government on notice of a particular fraud. The same can be true, said, with regard to an action filed in federal court, a private action between um, uh, civil litigants based upon diversity jurisdiction. If that uh, if there is a summary judgment motion filed in that case and there are a number of depositions, one of which might indicate fraud, that are filed in that summary judgment motion and the case settles, that there will never be — that summary judgment motion wouldn't be reviewed by the Federal District Court judge, but still there is no question that the filing of that document with the Federal Court would constitute a public disclosure under the first clause of the public disclosure bar. It'd be a, it be — would it be a civil hearing, a deposition? You, you would uh, consider a deposition to be a civil hearing? Uh, Your Honor, I'm, I'm uh, referring to a deposition that is actually filed with the Court in connection with a summary judgment motion, and the case then settles. Um, generally, the, the well, courts so have — what, what provision would it come under? Uh, Justice Scalia, the, the phrase — criminal, civil, or administrative hearing. Uh, the courts have consistently read that word, hearing, as, as including uh, all courts' proceedings, not simply the hearing itself, but documents that are filed with the clerk's office. Documents are, documents are a hearing? Uh, Your Honor, the, if Congress had meant to limit that word, hearing, to literally in-person oral arguments or in-person testimony, it, the result would be that a criminal indictment could be copied by a Ketam plaintiff and an action brought based upon that. That, of course, was this Court's decision in um, United States XRL Marcus versus Hess. The, uh, it is clear from the congressional history that Congress wanted to change that result by um, so Congress used the word hearing that obviously meant more than, than simply it meant hearing. more than hearing. Yes, Your Honor. And that's the part of the problem is. That, 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 that's an argument that doesn't go very far with me. I mean, hearing means hearing. Uh, Your Honor, the, the problem is, is that Congress really did not speak very clearly at all with respect to the False Claims Act. And so we're, we're left with this mess of trying to figure out exactly what Congress intended. The In your view, um, it, must an administrative report be a report that's generated by some government unit? Could it be a report by the administration of the university, for example? Justice Alito, the petitioners would not read that phrase as that broadly. Um, when the Congress has used the word administrative hearing, uh, that would appear to indicate uh, action by the government. Um, and under any of the dictionary definitions of uh, administration, clearly a state administrative um, proceeding, state administrative report, would fall within the scope of the dictionary definition. Um, we don't believe the Court needs to read that language as including private hospitals, private universities. But I'm not sure why. You, if, uh, unless administrative is informed by the other uh, adjectives in that prepositional phrase in a congressional administrative or government accounting office, presumably uh, GAO report, it, it, unless that is the, you know, unless it's informed by those other references, and that's why it has to be governmental. I'm not sure how you limit administrative to governmental reports. Well, Your Honor, the public disclosure bar uses the phrase administrative hearing twice. And if you turn to Black's Law Dictionary, um, it defines administrative hearing as a, uh, essentially a hearing conducted by an administrative agency. Therefore, when you say twice, you mean in the first clause it says in a criminal, civil, or administrative hearing? Yes, Your Honor. And then in the second clause, it proceeds to 
use the phrase congressional administrative government accounting office hearing audit investigation or report. But there's a redundancy there if the statute means what you says it does. It has administrative hearing in both the first clause and the second clause. Yes, Your Honor. There is a redundancy based upon petitioner's construction of the statute. But Congress was not particularly concerned about redundancy in the False Claims Act. For example, again, it uses the phrase um, congressional administrative or GAO. Um, GAO, of course, is a body that reports to Congress. Its head is appointed by the President. So under any definition, GAO would either be congressional or administrative. So there's a redundancy there. There's also oh, I think there would be a good lawsuit as to whether congressional report includes a GAO report. I think that's a lawsuit. I don't think it's at all as, as clear as you suggest. Uh, well, Justice Scalia, let me also point out that there is a redundancy in connection with the use of audit report or investigation. Essentially, Congress is using the same word to mean essentially the same thing um, in that clause uh, as well. But, yes, our reading does result in a redundancy in the statute. Um, Of course, the government reads this entire clause as being limited to federal proceedings, so they would um, urge a redundancy in the statute as well. But what's more important is this Court has consistently said that it will not read the same phrase as having a different meaning in the same sentence. Yes, Congress has created a redundancy, but that is no more egregious than the fact that it used the phrase government accounting office to refer to what was clearly the general accounting office. Yeah, well, that that argument does not scare the government. I think the government would like to... uh Read ad- administrative hearing in the first uh, in the first phrase as being limited to federal administrative hearing as well. Yes, Justice Scalia, that's our argument today. Of course, just 11 months ago in United States X Rel Poteet versus Medtronic, the government argued in the Sixth Circuit that a KETAM action should be dismissed based upon a state court complaint. They convinced the Sixth Circuit to accept that position and dismiss that complaint on January 14th of this year. And that was on, on the basis of the first, uh, the first phrase rather than the second? Yes, Your Honor, based upon the first clause of the statute. Is this particular, the audit report we're talking about, this is the audit report was done by an independent accountant? Uh, is it? Yes, Your Honor, there are two audit reports, uh, I'm sorry, there are two reports. The key one is the report that identifies or asserts that this work at issue should have been sent out by bid. That was prepared by an accounting firm um, for Graham County, North Carolina, the same auditor that was engaged by the county to comply with the Single Audit Act. Is 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 that uh, audit on file with the Department of Agriculture? Uh, Your Honor, I would have to go beyond the record, but yes, we have conducted a submitted a Public Information Act request, and essentially a week after the uh, document was transmitted to Graham County, it was transmitted to the United States Department of Agriculture. uh, The arguments in this case, my initial reading of them, are more balanced than any I can remember, really. Uh, For each one, there's a counter-argument, and I'm somewhat left up in the air. So if, since we have to decide it, Uh, Should I take this into account, that if the respondents are right, you're you're absolutely correct that there will be a lot of people, perhaps, who get rewards at the federal government's expense who shouldn't have them. No question. They front-run the government. They read the report run in court fast, before it's in the newspaper or before you are. But if you're right, uh, then... uh, they're going to have to assign people to look for the, look at these obscure administrative reports that didn't even get in the newspaper. So they don't want to do that. They don't have people to do it. And they say these people are performing a service of sorts by reading them, the reports for them, and telling them about it. Now, there it is, balanced. But they're the ones who suffer. 
You see, they suffer both ways. They suffer if people don't tell them. They suffer if, uh, in fact, too many of people are getting unjustified rewards because the money comes from the Federal Government, the 10 percent, 25 percent. So if they're the ones who suffer, should I not pay special attention to their views as to how the balance works out? Well, Your Honor, uh, Justice Breyer, first of all, the government hasn't been consistent. As we pointed out in United States ex World Petite, they've taken the exact opposite position with regard to Clause 1 in the, the First uh, Circuit. Uh, but the, the real issue here and, and what should concern the Court is the fact that there will be a tremendous number of opportunistic ETAM plaintiffs that, that arise is someone can simply go to an ongoing state or local government investigation, copy it and bring it. As you can tell, I've I've taken that point in. Yes. So my question wasn't that. My question was, should I or should I not give them a little expertise weight on the ground that they're the ones who know it best because they're the victims? Well, I would suggest that the, um, the weight that should be given is the partners of the federal government, states and local governments that are in the trenches administering these programs that will have tremendous difficulty if there's a rash of KETAM actions that are brought that disrupt ongoing Medicaid and other investigations. How will that happen? Meaning, how will they know, A, that the investigation is occurring, and second, what can they do under federal or state law to require the disclosure of ongoing investigative materials. I I don't know, mind you, I haven't studied them, but the ones that I'm familiar with never permit the public disclosure, none of the Freedom of Information Act type legislation never permit the disclosure of ongoing investigative materials. So I'm a little bit confused by how that would happen. Uh, Justice Sotomayor, there are going to be some exceptions to many states' Public Information Act requests, things such as attorney-client communications, um, in some cases criminal investigations. But for most states, there will not be any sort of prohibition against a plaintiff's attorney filing a Public Information Act request saying, print out Give us a copy of all printouts that show disparities and irregularities with regard to Medicaid billings. Um, Moreover, most states um, uh, are, by law, are required to receive complaints concerning the state's Medicaid program. Um, Those are generally processed by the state's um, system integrity program. And those reports are going to be readily available to Public Information Act requests. Uh, essentially, what this court should be worried about are state employees who know where the the documents can be located. You can simply copy the the document, bring a key TAM action, and produce a windfall for yourself, potentially disrupting the the state investigation. And if Congress really wanted to do that, if they wanted to create this rash of ill-advised key TAM actions, this flood that's about to fall upon the states, Congress should have written a little bit more clearly before doing so. Um, It isn't consistent with the language of the statute or with congressional intent. Throughout the legislative history, it is clear that what Congress was intending to do was to have access to true insiders, the whistleblowers, to obtain information that would be confidential, that would not otherwise be available to the federal government. But Congress obviously wanted more than that, because if Congress's intent was the one that you're announcing, then it should have just permitted original sources to sue. But that's not the choice it made. It, It broaden the scope of QUITAM actions to include more sources or more reward for individuals who don't have original information? Yes, Your Honor. It it added the original source provision, and it identified certain sources of information and said you cannot bring an action based upon those specific sources. May I I ask this question? Is the fact that they've included the news media consistent with your view? 
Uh, yes, Your Honor. Yeah, that seems to be a much more open source of information than hearings. Exactly. The government argues that the False Claims Act is exclusively federal. The public disclosure bar should therefore be read as exclusively federal. But the existence of this category of news media indicates that Congress did not intend the public disclosure bar to be exclusively federal sources. They're, they're under the government's theory that every, all of this fall, the entire public disclosure bar should be read as limited to federal sources. The only news media that would be able to, to fall within the scope of the public disclosure bar would be the Voice of America, which is the only federal news media currently in existence to my knowledge. Stars and stripes, maybe. Yes, Your Honor. Thank you, Justice Clay. But, well, but that's not terribly uh, persuasive. In the statute, there are separate provisions. They talk about disclosures in a criminal, civil, or administrative hearings, in a congressional, administrative, or gov- government accounting office report, or from the news media. Simply because you want to limit uh, uh, administrative um, or, or not limit administrative doesn't mean that the other side's view requires news media to be modified by federal. Mr. Chief Justice, two points that I'd like to make in response is, first, uh, these clauses, um, and there are three clauses, the first two beginning within and the third one beginning with from, they do not serve different purposes. Rather, they serve to identify the sources that Congress did not want to give rise to a key TAM action. So this list has to be read as a whole. The second point I'd like to make is throughout — We should stop calling them clauses. They're really phrases. Yes, Your Honor. Um, with respect to these three phrases, the, uh, throughout the legislative history, the year and a half that, that the False Claims Act was being debated, there were only two clauses. It began with the, the preposition in, phrases. It began with the preposition in — and then from in connection with the news media. It was only on October 3rd, 1986, the, the, when it was, the provision was finally enacted by the Senate, that this second N was added before the second clause. So Congress undoubtedly did not intend to make this 11th hour change and have some substantive change to the statute Rather, it should best be read as a last-minute insert to make the clause, the three clauses as a whole, read and flow much better than they did prior to that time. Can you tell me, just as a practical matter, suppose suppose the county says, you know, we found out that we were defrauded by this contractor and it sues the contractor. Uh, But its suit doesn't cover really all of the damages, only half of it. Can a key, key time action then be commenced for the portion that the county isn't seeking? I mean, how does that work? Um, Your Honor, if there has been a public disclosure — Which there would be if there's a complaint filed by the county against the contract. Uh, Essentially what the the lower courts have done is they would allow a KETAM action to go with regard to a completely different claim. But if it were simply the fact that the public disclosure covered a portion of the time period, but not all of it. Depending on the identity the of, the, of the claim. Yes. Yes, sir. And, and suppose in the race to the courthouse, the key time uh, plaintiff files on Monday and the county files on Tuesday. Uh, under, under that scenario, if the key time action is filed before the public disclosure, um, then the KETAM action would not be born. Mm-hmm. If there are no further questions. May I just one, one quick question? I, I, I just want to be sure I understood. Do you draw any distinction between the preposition in and the preposition from? No, Your Honor. Okay. I think it, it is, um, as um, Justice Alito pointed out when he served on the Third Circuit, that some of these prepositions are very awkward indeed. Part of the random nature of the whole provision, right? <laughs> yes, Justice Scalia. If there are no further questions, I'd like to reserve the remainder of my time. Thank you, Counsel. Mr. Hurd. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court, the decision of the Fourth Circuit is correct because the text of the False Claims Act compels the result and the purpose and also the purposes of the 1986 amendments to the Act. As the Fourth Circuit noted, 
Congress grouped the disclosure sources in paragraph A of the public disclosure bar into three distinct categories. In category two, the term administrative, which is at issue here, is sandwiched between the terms congressional and Let's EPA. begin at the beginning, and that is with the first phrase, with the, what is it, civil criminal administrative hearing. Do you, as the government, do you agree with the government that you have to insert federal there, too? Or does that phrase <laughs> include no. state? No, the, the text of Category 2 compels the result here, although we do believe that the better view of Category 1 is that it is also federal as well. In the context, the over, overall context. Suppose, suppose it isn't. Suppose the general civil criminal administrative is, is read to mean uh, include state. Why shouldn't the second, if we're picking Latin phrases, be read in pari materia. Because each of those categories is distinct, not only grammatically, but as far as function. The first category is clearly adjudicative in nature. The second is not adjudicative. And the third category is, is news media and stands on its own. Why, why, why should we read the second category back to alter the meaning of the first, rather than meaning, reading the first phrase forward to alter the meaning of the second. It, it is absolutely clear when you read this, in a s criminal, civil, or administrative hearing, there, there's no limitation to federal on that. And you acknowledge that the criminal and civil apply to, to, to state civil and criminal proceedings, right? So when you read that phrase, administrative simply means, obviously means state administrative. Now, why shouldn't I read that forward and say, well, since it means state there, it must mean state in the next one, in a congressional, administrative, or GAO report. The uh, argument for Category 2 is less compelling. We agree. The argument for Category 1 is it most compelling because these categories are distinct and should be looked at as separate units for that purpose. You have Category 2 is non-adjudicative. Category 1 is adjudicative. And so you have, you have a distinction there. If you were looking at the three categories and for instance, you don't take Category 3 and say Category 3 is non-governmental, so therefore we could, should construe Category 2 to include private administrative reports. Anyway, the question is what sense does that make? I mean, and I thought you said that the Category 1, which is the criminal proceedings, civil or administrative proceedings, I thought you said it does not apply to state proceedings in your view. You said that was the better view. Yes. And what's the state of the law on that? I thought it was virtually... Well, it's open. The, well, I, I don't, what is the state of the you, law? You, you say that just as to administrative. You, do, don't you acknowledge that the criminal and civil apply to state criminal and civil? No. You want the whole thing to be just no, better. We think the better view is that the whole category is whole exclusively category. I think you'd have to say that. But, but now, uh, what, what's the state of the law on that? The, the, the uh, Court of Appeals have basically uh, gone the other way, but they've looked at it in a very superficial manner and have not really directly so what are we supposed to do? Issue. I mean, to me, it makes no sense. We're only talking about things don't get into the newspapers, really. So, and the purpose of, of, uh, of the, the federal government's reading of, of this uh, would be, look, we don't have people to go send around to every, read every state report. We just don't have that personnel. And, and so, so we rely on the, these whistleblowers, and we know some will be unjustified. I would think the same thing would be absolutely true of state criminal proceedings that don't get into the newspaper. There are probably 50, uh, several, I mean, thousands and thousands. So how to read these differently is, is a problem for me, and I think that's on your side of it. But we're back to Justice Scalia's question, which to me is the, is the question here. Well, the False Claims Act in sections, the pertinent sections, 3729, 3730, in, it refer to the federal government many times, but never with the modifier federal. They do it through context. And in fact, is there any history which I pay attention to? Is there any legislative history or anything else you can point to? It, to me, that's important, uh, showing that that first criminal hearing means just federal. Yes, the, the legislative history shows throughout, beginning with the House and Senate bills and going forward, 
that these — the earlier versions show these were exclusively Federal — They meant criminal hearing. They — criminal hearing meant Federal criminal hearing, not State. Exactly. And you have — I know you say exactly. I'm just looking for the backup for that. Yes. The legislative history is, is clear on that point. And, in fact, if you look at the Senate bill that was passed August 11th, you have the final version of paragraph A, and then you have uh, — which was enacted in law, and paragraph B was somewhat different, but it had the phrase uh, uh, government or news media, disclosures of government or news media. It's clearly referencing back to paragraph A and categorizing those sources as either sources of capital G government, the federal government, or the news media. And the changes, subsequent changes to paragraph B give no indication that Congress's background understanding of that change. There's no indication of that. And, of course, you have the Senate's, uh, the sponsors of the bill making the, the same statements that this was clearly federal. The why would that, why, what would the reason for that be, given that there are so many joint federal-state uh, grant programs like the one that's involved here? Why wouldn't a, a state report be as much of a public disclosure as a federal report? I mean, we're told that this particular report was filed with the uh, U.S. Department of Agriculture? Because it gives no uh, — a, a report produced by a state or a local government, and again, their argument is not just state, but every little local entity producing these reports fall under the Category 2, according to them. Simply the fact that a local or, or state official might be producing this report gives no indication that the federal government is focusing on it or looking at it. In you fact, think the, the federal government is focusing on everything that is disclosed in every civil proceeding that occurs in federal court? No, but Congress was selecting general categories, and as a general category, the federal proceedings, they thought, were m- more likely to put the government on notice. And, and the news media, they're likely to be keeping track of all local newspapers as well? Well, I think that as a general category, it was reasonable for Congress to assume that, that the news media disclosures would be disseminated in general to the pub, general public and would put pressure on the government to take action, and the government would pay attention to that in general. I mean, they could have said national news media. They didn't say national. They said news media. It said news it media. It includes a local radio station, a local community newspaper, right? All of that is included. Congress was drawing the lines. And yet, and yet state proceedings, which are, are excluded, Right? Even state Supreme yes. Court cases and so forth? Seems strange to me. Well, under, under this Court recognized in Cook County that the 1986 amendments allowed, abolished the government knowledge rule and allowed the key TAM relators to bring cases even where the government, federal government, had possession of information about the fraud. What we're doing here is not even we're not even sure the government has possession of these reports. A lot of these reports are just sitting in file cabinets all around the country in these little uh, uh, administrative office buildings. Mr. Hurd, I, let me just give you what's really troubling me about this case. You have two, two citizens of a small town. One of them goes to the hearing and gets all this information. The other one doesn't go to the hearing. He reads about it in the newspaper. The latter is a permissible plaintiff. The former is not. Is that correct? Correct. Does that make any sense? It does, because Congress drew it, uh, picked it as a general category. They were thinking probably most likely New York Times or uh, newspapers that have actual uh, investigative reporting uh, uh, resources. And that was what they had in mind. Here you have a, a whole... Well, that doesn't show that it makes sense. It just shows that Congress wasn't thinking clearly. There's a difference between the two. One of the huge problems with petitioner's position is it's going to sweep into Category 2 an enormous number of reports and audits that that the federal government is likely to never see, never come across. And you need these concerned citizens to go and look. You want the citizens to go and look at these. Counsel, are you you sure that your argument is that this is sandwiched between two federal descriptions? Are you sure congressional is limited to federal Congress? The first definition in Black's dictionary is a formal meeting of delegates. Uh, And I don't know, maybe I should, I don't know if all 50 states refer to their legislature by some term other than Congress. 
Uh, petitioners have not pointed to an example of a state Congress. I think it's, it's generally conceded that that would be federal. And it also, when you look at GAO, that's clearly uh, a, a federal entity there as well. I'd like to go back to Justice Ginsburg's very first question. I want you to assume that in Category 1, it means state or federal. If you disagree, maybe you, I want you to assume that. Yes. If we assume that, does it make any sense to, def- to confine Category 2 to federal only? Yes. And but what's the practical thing? You, your answer was, well, that's because the clause of it. I want to know the practical uh, rationale for that, the practical reason why that should make sense. Because, because reports and audits are just a totally uh, a category that is much, many magnitudes greater than the number of criminal, civil, and administrative hearings. You're going to have millions of documents all over this country in file cabinets that are generated by local and state governments that there's, there's no possibility the vast majority of those would ever come across the attention of the federal government. And so you want concerned citizens to be looking through, monitoring their local governments, you know, digging up these, these reports and, and bringing lawsuits based on those. The federal government's simply not going to do it. Which, which um, decision of ours do you think would prompt Congress to go back and do this right? I mean, do you think that finding the way the government wants us to find will uh, produce uh, a, a revision of, of this really terrible text so that it makes sense? Or do you think that uh, finding for the other side, giving the government some incentive to get this fixed, would likely produce a, a proper amendment? What do you think? I think uh, the latter, to tell you the truth. Well, unfortunately, we have to deal with the statute as it is. And, uh, you know, this, our position uses all the clues in the statute to construe it. The other side construes it in a crude manner and says, let's treat it like a laundry list. Let's not use any of the grammatical clues in, in construing this language. And also, let's construe it in a way that ignores what Congress did in 1986, which was to abolish the government knowledge bar. This is a reimposition of that bar. Suppose that the second phrase said, in a congressional news media or GAO report. Would you read news media there to be governmental? No, I would not. What's the difference between that and the way it's phrased now? Because it is, it is, Congress did put it in a separate category, so, so. No, no, right now we have in a congressional administrative or government accounting office report. And you, you say you have to read administrative in light of congressional and GAO, but what if it said in a congressional news media or government accounting office report? I think Why wouldn't you make the same argument with relation to news media? I think the contextual clues would be less compelling there in that situation. And Why you would is that have, so? Because you would have a category that would have a mixture of exclusively federal and non-federal. Here you have a, a, a category that you can construe consistently as exclusively federal, given the contextual clues in there. And uh, so, you, so as it is drafted now, if you look at all the clues, you do have distinct categories that can be construed uh, each on its own merits. This audit report is required by federal law, isn't it? Yes. As, as of our many reports, Medicaid reports by private uh, recipients of aid, this report was only done because the local government was a recipient of federal money no different from any private recipient, uh, a not-for-profit. So there was no real uh, distinction there. It was not really a governmental report in the truest sense of the, of the word, and as, as it should be uh, construed as are, are regarded for purposes of the public disclosure bar. Um, and that that's shows the real, one of the real problems of going down to the, to the local and state level. You get all of these problems where the recipient is generating the, uh, the report rather than the administrator, you know, the administrator versus the recipient. You get all those problems going down to this level, the local and state governments. Uh, and it shows the real problem with that. Um, again, this is a, the overall statute is federal. It's to recover the federal government's money. Uh, the statute has a strict dichotomy between the federal government and everyone else. If the states or local governments are going to be key TAM relators, they bring it as a private person. Um, thank you. Thank you, counsel.
Mr. Hallward-Driemeier. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. As I think the discussion this morning uh, illustrates, the federal nature of the second category, the phrase that is directly at issue in this case, is self-evident from the text. The terms congressional and GAO are federal and under the doctrine or, or canon of construction, noscator asokis. Let me uh, go back to the other Latin phrase. If you begin at the beginning and you begin with a, uh, a phrase that you have no reason to say is modified by federal civil criminal administrative proceeding. Why shouldn't that drive the statute? What's in the first phrase? Well, Your Honor, I, I, I want to start by making clear that we disagree that that's the better interpretation of the first clause, but I will take it as the premise. Well, it's a lot question. harder to say you have to put a carrot mark and say it really means federal civil criminal administrative hearings. It, it may indeed be harder to do that. We think that it is warranted in light of the policy uh, that motivated Congress and in light of other references to federal administrative civil and criminal hearings in the statute. But even if those reasons, which we think justify limiting the first category to federal proceedings, the Court were to disagree with that, that would not justify disregarding the clear indications of the federal limitations on the second clause. And there is no well, we, policy. I didn't mean it right. You, clear limitations. You, you really only have one, right? I mean, you have no other argument in, in construing administrative in a federal way other than that it's sandwiched between two other federal. Well, Your Honor, I think that, that again, the, as Justice Alito's question at the very beginning of the argument illustrated, the, the literal language of the word administrative would encompass uh, hearings conducted by private hospitals or universities as well. Now, petitioner issues well, that we would interpretation. Just, we would just take the sections from your brief today and say, well, no, you've got to read it in the context in which it appears, and this is all federal, which means it's all governmental. Um, that's that's right, not, Your Honor. And, and governmental in a particular nature, of a particular nature, the federal government. As, as the Court's decision in Cook County made clear, municipal governmental entities are, with respect to the False Claims Act, the same as private corporations. The, the Court recognized that municipalities are the recipients of many federal dollars. In that case, the local governmental entity uh, whose conduct was at issue was a county hospital. And, and county hospitals receive funds under the same programs that private I, I don't get your expertise on this, because you have probably read the legislative history of the 1986 amendments. All right, am I right in thinking this? If I go back and read it, which I will, uh, there I will discover not once in this entire 1986 history, anywhere, House, Senate, or conference, does the word state appear. In any relevant context? No. I'm not right. Okay. That, that, so when it appears. Well, it, and it, I guess it depends on what you mean by the relevant context. What I'm, what I'm the relevant with, context the, has to do, in my mind at the moment, primarily in respect to the first clause, criminal, civil, or administrative proceedings. Is there any indication that those were meant to apply, any indication that those were meant to apply to state as opposed to uniquely federal? criminal, civil, or administrative proceeding. No, Your, your Honor, it, it, is, it is clear from the legislative yeah, Clear from the record, I'll say, if you, clear that. that. That it was federal proceedings that Congress had in mind. And, and, and here, the word is hearings, actually. If, if you would look on uh, page 19 of the government. Could, could you be more specific when you say that Congress had in mind? I mean, just so I know I, what you're talking about. I'm sorry, Your Honor. That, that, I, I, to, the committee that. I'm, Reported the bill? Right. That's right, Your Honor. Well, in I want in to know both houses or just one house? Well, we have uh, the, the committee report and the bill that was reported by the House, which stated specifically the, the, at that point the public disclosure bar referenced uh, information which the government, capital G, disclosed as a basis of allegations in a prior administrative civil that was the House, proceeding. Sir. That was the House. The, well, the well had North Carolina's version. got a government, too. Excuse me? North Carolina has a government, too. Well, as we note, Your Honor, 
the statute uses the term government with a capital G throughout to refer to the federal government. The big same, government. Rule, same rule for Congress? Excuse me? Same rule for congressional? Well, congress the, 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 the term congressional is frequently used without a capital, but, the, but state legislatures are not referred to as Congresses. And, in fact, that is one of the anomalies that petitioners simply cannot explain, why Congress would have thought that uh, an administrative report issued by a local school board should give rise to uh, the bar, but a report or a hearing conducted by a state legislature would not. There was an explanation for that in the imposing brief that Congress in, what was it, 1986, didn't think that the legislature was generating reports, audits, uh, as distinguished from administrative well, agencies. Well, Your Honor, it, it is, of course, a, a truism that that programs are administered by the executive branch more than the legislative branch, but that is no reason to think that Congress would have meant to exclude if the state legislature did conduct a hearing with respect to fraud by the state, exclude that as a public disclosure. The reason that Congress didn't include state legislative reports is because it didn't include state reports at all. It well, was that, that doesn't follow like the night today. It could be, as it was explained, that they didn't include state legislatures because they didn't think they would be generating relevant material. Well, Your Honor, I, I think that it is more likely, as, as the development and progress of the clause reflects, that Congress was focused on what does the government know and what has, is the disclosure show about the, the whether the government is already or is likely to focus on the fraud. Is the Justice Department seeking to get this, uh, uh, this piece of uh, uh, statutory text clarified? I mean, you do have some operation over there that proposes uh, to Congress amendments of those provisions that are not working out well. Is, is, there, is there any effort to get this clarified? There, I, there are currently under consideration uh, bills uh, or, and as I understand, there are other bills that are in contemplation that would revise the language of this statute, but, but would not necessarily focus on this. There are a number of other issues connected. Make it worse? I, I don't know. But, of course, the, the I think the question was, has the Department of Justice, recognizing that there's a circuit split on this very question, recommended uh, that Congress amend the statute in this particular? I, I, I don't believe that, as of yet, the Department has taken a specific see, that's position what, on, on the legislation that is contemplated <coughs> for this particular ambiguity. I mean, this is, but there's a one ambiguity, whether these clause, the first and what we call first and second, refer to state as well as, as well as federal. If the debates took place in a context where everyone's just thinking of federal, it's not surprising they didn't put in the word federal. They don't think of everything. All right, now, that's my question. You started with the House. The House, to me, does think just of federal. The Senate's ambiguous on that point. And the conference is yet more ambiguous on that point. So is there anything, when I look at the conference and the Senate uh, versions, I'm going to say, Jesus, they did, sorry, they did actually uh, uh, think of federal and state, too, and it's sort of mixed up, or am I going to see that that context there is federal? No. The, the context is, is federal. References to, to states in connection with the Act and Congress has thought about it are treating states like other private quitam relators. The, the petitioner referred to the Dean case, and in fact that was something that the, the, the his, legislative history refers to. But, the, but what was offensive about the decision in the Dean case was that Wisconsin had been the original source of the information, but had been barred because it had provided that information to the government. And under the government uh, knowledge bar, they had been precluded. So, so Wisconsin would have been taken care of under the original source provision. But it doesn't reflect a view that states have a particular distinctive role. In fact, as this Court's decision in Cook County reflects, municipalities are treated just as any private corporation for purposes of the Act. They can be defendants. They could be plaintiffs, quitam relators. 
But there is no reason to construe the statute in a way that would allow a local government effectively to shield itself from quitam suits by disclosing the facts that would be the underlying information in support of a fraud claim in perhaps a report that was intended to um, to, to whitewash but the situation. But if you think that the, the, when a when a state employees want to immunize themselves from fraud, they're going to say, "Okay, we'll disclose it where anybody prosecutor could pick it up, but we'll take care of the key well, tam line." Your Honor, I think that it's it's important to note that. In order to be a public disclosure, this, the second category at the very least, all that needs to have happened is that the information be disclosed to, to one additional person. That, and that makes a lot of sense when we're talking about disclosures of the government, federal government's own reports, because if the federal government is already investigating and pursuing the fraud, one other person that finds out about it and then files a quitam action on the basis of the government's own efforts is precisely the situation that Congress sought to preclude. But it doesn't make any sense when we're talking about a disclosure to a but single individual by a state or local. lots of disclosures in federal reports that the government isn't pursuing. Well, we think that the, the disclosures, the allegations in the types of reports, audits, investigations that are referenced in the clause are the type that would evidence that the government is pursuing them. And, but where a state, perhaps a local uh, school board, discloses facts that might give rise to an allegation of fraud in a hearing where there was only one or two members of the public in attendance, there's no reason to think that that information is going to be brought to the federal government's attention. The purpose of the bar is to balance. Congress was seeking to balance two goals. One is to encourage quitam relators to bring information and bring suits where the information was unlikely to be uh, something that the government, federal government was focusing on, where the federal government was able to protect itself and bring this suit on its own, then there's no reason for the federal but government to have to share its recovery. It, why can't it protect itself if these reports are in its possession? How are they any more in the government or less in the government's possession than articles in the news media, than state criminal and civil and administrative well, hearings? You yourself make it very clear that the government isn't keeping track of all of those other sources. Well, Your, Your Honor, the petitioner's reference to this audit being in the possession of the government, it, it, it is happenstance that this particular report, the Christman Hughes report, was sent to a federal government official. But the vast majority of state and local governmental investigations, audits, and reports are not going to be given to the federal government. And even those that are, they cite the Single Audit Act, which is only a very narrow subset of of audits that states or local governments perform, do not actually disclose the allegations of the fraud. In order to, to get to the actual information of the fraud, uh, it, the first of all, it has to be brought to the attention of the relevant federal agency. Usually, the cognizant agency is the one that has the most money at stake, but the fraud may have to do with a different federal program. So it has to be brought to the attention of the program whose interests are actually at stake. They have to go beyond the report that's federal, that's a publicly available on the Clearinghouse website, which tells you virtually nothing to uh, an underlying report, which is itself generally fairly vague. And all the petitioners say is that the working papers of the auditor are available to the government, not even in the government's possession. They are available to the government if it requests it. The government has to drill down many levels before it's necessarily going to know about that fraud. Isn't that argument suggesting that the court didn't even need to reach this issue? Even assuming that a state administrative reports are included in the bar. No, no, Your Honor. I, I aren't you arguing so. that what was in this audit report wasn't sufficient to show the fraud? That's not your argument? No, again, th- th- this report here did have information that was uh, indicative of fraud. And this report was way? public. Excuse me? Which way? All it said was that this person wasn't chosen by bidding. But aren't there situations in which 
non-bids are permitted? There, there, there were multiple allegations. One of the allegations underlying the relator's claim is that the government, the, the county certified that certain procedures were followed that would have included a requirement that it be bid out and that it was not. Um, another was that certain work was paid for, billed for, but wasn't performed or was not performed well. So there were, where there were different allegations. And, and where that would be disclosed to a single person, that would constitute a public disclosure, at least with respect to federal. Of course, the Attorney General can always bring suit, right? I mean, but all we're arguing that, about is, is whether this information that's in the state and local thing can be the basis of a quitam suit. But if only the, if, if we the learn government the finds about it, the Attorney General can always bring suit. Right? And, and, and what is at issue here is whether the federal government is ever going to learn of the fraud. Thank, Thank you, you, Counsel. Uh, Mr. Browning, you have six minutes. Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice. Uh, Justice Breyer, if I could first turn to your comments or your questions about legislative history. Here, I think the legislative history tells us very little because of the many changes in the Senate version and the House version. And unfortunately, it was not a conference committee report. So we won't know the nature of the compromise. At most, the legislative history helps us to show what Congress was generally concerned about. And throughout the original committee, the Senate and House report, there is a concern about TAM actions based upon public information. I agree with you about that. I, I, I think it's the silence, though, might cut against you. Well, and the reason that the si- if it's basically silence, the reason I'm thinking that cuts against you is because they're starting with a context where they're focusing on federal. And if everybody is working in that context, then nothing said about state means they're just assuming it's all applying to federal. Now, what I'm looking for, and you might be able to put your finger on it, is something that shows that my last statement is not right. Yeah, yes, Justice Breyer, that the government assumes and repeats throughout its brief that the False Claims Act is exclusively federal in nature. Therefore, you read all of its terms as essentially being, being federal. That, of course, does not answer what Congress intended with the public well, disclosure. When we say everybody's working in a certain context, uh, how, how many people is everybody? What percentage of the House and of the Senate were involved in these committees that were drafting these bills and that issued the committee reports? Uh, yes, Justice Scalia, your point's well taken that this would only be. Uh, I think in the, it, was, it probably came out of governmental affairs in the Senate, which I think had 17 members at that time. Yes. Continuing with your your questions, if I I could, Justice Breyer, that there is nothing to indicate that the public disclosure bar should be exclusively federal. It, of course, includes news media, which is not federal. It also includes criminal, civil, or administrative hearings. But moreover, there are many aspects of the False Claims Act that are not exclusively federal in nature. The very change that we're talking about, the, the change to the public disclosure bar, was a result of a push by the National Association of Attorney Generals to actually change the public disclosure bar to make sure that states could bring KETAM actions. That is why the public disclosure bar includes an original source provision. To to follow up, I think it was a question Justice Breyer asked earlier. Do you have any tiebreaker on your side? I mean, if we do decide the arguments are pretty much in equipoise, the suggestion was that the federal government is both the beneficiary and the uh, loser in Tom actions, in the sense they lose a percentage of the recovery, and so we ought to let them strike the balance. But what argument do you have on your side? Your Honor, um, again, that our concern from the perspective of states, and it's a concern shared by local governments, is the reading that the respondents advocate will produce a flood of ketamine. Now, that's the same. That's one of the arguments that I think is balanced on the other side. For example, is do, have we ever said, I mean, this is an unusual statute, of course, with a private attorney general and all that. Have we, does it, is there any authority for the idea that we should read it restrictively because uh, of that? Your Honor, it does give rise to a, a false claim, will, of course, give rise to criminal liability. Moreover, it is a case dealing with. Have, have, we, ever, have we ever said that that's a basis for reading the Act restrictively? Um, Your Honor, there is some older authority to that effect, the specific case. I apologize, the name escapes me. What what your claim is is that the government, the federal government, is not the only person harmed. 
Yeah. And therefore, uh, you know, we shouldn't listen to them so long as they don't — they want to come out this way. You're saying the state and local governments Absolutely, Justice are significantly Leo. We, harmed. We are partners. Which the federal government doesn't care about, right? The, the federal government yeah. is, um, I think, taking a very short-sighted view because these sort of key TAM actions will be very disruptive to what the federal government's partners are actually doing in the trenches in administering these programs. Um, moreover, the, the, the Federal False Claims Act, it is clear that it is not exclusively federal. When it was amended in 1986, um, Congress changed Section 3732B, which allowed pendant state claims to be brought. So a state, if there is a Federal False Claims action, could intervene to protect the state's portions of the, the monies that are at issue. Moreover, in Section 3733, L7A, the Civil Investigative Demand Provisions, Congress expressly used the word administrative to include not only federal administrative proceedings, but state administrative proceedings. So your point here is, if I put it in cash terms, is the federal government's view will pay a lot of uh, key TAM lawyers, some percent, to go and look through all these state criminal hearings and state reports and all these things that didn't get into the newspaper and to bring cases. So it may be cheaper to pay them than it would be to hire staff to do that. Now, your point is that they get a little over-enthusiastic sometimes, and they can bring actions that maybe not be uh, so well justified, and the federal government is going to have to hire people to sort those out anyway. And so are the states, and that's going to be a mess. Is that your point? Yes. They will be very enthusiastic if they can simply take a state report showing Medicaid fraud and bring a key TAM action. That will be very disruptive to states and to local governments. Thank you, Your Honor. Thank you, Counsel. The case is submitted.